Welcome to the Brand Ambassadors, your wide-angle look at the field of PR and what it means for your company. Your host is Merritt Hamilton Allen with co-host Gary Potterfield. Every firm has a compelling narrative that sets them apart from the crowd. In your company, you can use your own background and storytelling to your advantage as well as that of your business. Now, here are your hosts, Merritt Hamilton Allen and Gary Potterfield. Good morning. Welcome to the Brand Ambassadors. I'm Merritt Hamilton Allen, joined by Gary Potterfield. Good morning, Gary. How are you Good. doing today? I'm doing I'm doing okay, Merritt. And you? Um, I'm really excited about this topic. Uh, we're talking about speech writing, and it was one of my first jobs uh, in public uh, public relations. And uh, I was surprised to be actually paid to do it because I started writing speeches and entering or- oratorical contests when I was ten. So when you thought when you brought up this topic, is absolutely uh, near and dear to my heart. <laughs> I, I I was not nearly as precocious as you. At ten years old, I, I don't it's know. An- I was probably just sucking my thumb still or something. I don't know. Well, I grew out of it. <laughs> so you start. You started when you were ten. I don't think I've. I think I've, my first speech that I wrote for some, for, other than just for me, uh, was probably. I was probably closer to my mid twenties or something like that. Well, what I, what I enjoy about speech writing is, to me, it is the most direct, basic form of communication and outreach. It's the most natural. Uh, I think it's the simplest to write to. Uh, I think it's the best way to, uh, to, uh, to make an impact. And this could be from what you and I are very used to, uh, speeches for military ceremonies. It could be a TED Talk. It could be announcing your quarterly earnings. But uh, how... Uh, you how you choose to inject your personality and your experience uh, into the five or twenty minutes you're going to be speaking, uh, I think is absolutely crucial. Yeah, I don't know. I may take exception with you. It's the most natural. We've been through. We've seen plenty where the natural doesn't come through, and that's obviously you know there's a difference between uh, you know uh, speech writing and speech giving, uh, and uh, so uh, I, I think we'll talk about that today too. So yeah, we've seen some amazing. I think we've been we've been um, privileged to see and hear and maybe even write for some amazing speech givers, and in other cases, um, you think you do a great job and then you watch your you watch your creativity go down the drain, you know. Right, right. As, as an example, I give a lot was um, you know you're you're riding in the car uh, with your uh, with your client on the way to the engagement, and it's easy and fun and. Uh, everyone in the car is telling jokes and uh, you know it's going to be great and as soon as um, uh, the, the person is ascends the podium and turns on the slides uh, all the personality washes away well there's your first mistake you turned on the slides <laughs> there you there you have it there you have it you know uh, yeah well that, and that's another thing that's uh, that is um, you know that how, how things have changed where anymore I wonder what percentage uh, if you could even come up with that, of speeches now include some sort of audiovisual support, which is another way of uh, isn't actual support. It's a it's a audiovisual um, uh, impediment. You know that's true, and uh, I, you know 
then you think of though the use of visuals, I think of a TED talk and, you know, it's a, a single person on a stage and the entire uh, backdrop behind them is a screen that runs uh, maybe a sentence at a time. Reverse text on dark background. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, it just, um, you know, I guess we're learning uh, or, or maybe we're not learning. People are, are not learning, um, you know, what, how the human brain uh, absorbs information and uh, and sometimes and it's frustrating certainly sometimes to us that you know we we think we know that and uh, but the 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 person who has to give the speech uh, either doesn't know it or refuses to accept it or says no this is just the way we do it you know and I find that frustrating sometimes. One thing I you see one thing I enjoy about speech writing and I enjoy. Um, uh, writing and I enjoy speech writing for myself when I'm when I need to uh, uh, speak in public. But I also enjoy speech writing for others. Is you have to get the time and you have to get the access to know the person and listen to what they sound like. Right. And to me, com- conversational writing and writing in a conversational tone is just personally for me for me the easiest. And what I think is interesting, you and I both have a heavy speech writing background, yet our training and our preferences and the type of work we're good at in PR, I think, is very different because I'm terrible at visuals. Uh, I, <laughs> uh, I, I'm much more on the, uh, on the, on the strategy uh, the strategy, the written piece, and uh, you are able to write very well, but also put together beautiful visuals and multimedia presentations. Do you think your ability to understand the, the, the visual piece of it, the multimedia piece of it, helps your speech writing? I think it does, yeah. Um, and and um, at the same time, I do I do think that's true. Um, if, if I feel the freedom uh, to do it the way that I think it ought to be done. If if it goes the other right. way around and you're dealing with, uh, you know, 24 bullet points that you're you're required to put into something, and then it becomes the opposite. It becomes a, um, a, a hindrance. So I think, um, I, I want, real quick, I remember uh, when we first started with uh, Vox Optum, actually it was before we started Vox Optum, and I, and I was uh, writing speeches for the, for the three star there, and 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 um, that was an interesting experience because in that particular case, uh, I would go up to his office, and he would, I had to take a recorder because he uh, just to get a, because he he would start, he would be he would go into a zone and start talking to himself, and just start pacing and start talking, and and words would come out and phrases would come out and turns of a phrase and a joke would come out and 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 um, it was all over the place. However. Uh, it really, really was helpful to your point about understanding and knowing the, the, the principal, the person who's going to be speaking. And I think that really helped me craft a speech that, that was him. It was really him. It was just me taking, you know, well, I'm, I'm not being, it's not my words. I mean, I've crafted it and made it fit. But I felt really good about a lot of those because it was, I felt that I was really capturing his personality. And actually, just really, it was his personality. So, but that's a rarity for me. I mean, most of the time, it doesn't end up that way. Well, I mean, that's true. And it, it, the speech writing for a third party, uh, it's uh, dependent on on several factors. First of all, absolutely, um, uh, the individual who's going to be delivering the speech. 
and uh, what they're good at and what they want to convey. And then the speechwriter's ability um, uh, to really uh, uh, find their client's voice and uh, bring it forward. And then it's, uh, you know, let's also remember the audience. Oh, who are they? Who get them. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I know I think that's uh, I think that's a huge issue uh, is knowing what the audience needs to take away. Uh, we creative folks can get all wrapped around the axle on uh, being clever and engaging and putting it all together. But if the if the requirement is to describe technical milestones to um, uh, resource sponsors and appropriators, uh, you're not going to it's not going to be a real fun speech. Right. And that's OK. Another, I think another confusion, another misunderstanding uh, is the idea that you can cram so much information into the, in, into a speech and, and have it mean anything to the audience. Uh, I, I so often, I remember, um, I remember when I was a, an instructor, um, sim- similar kind of thing. Uh, I had this class uh, on, on, on video and uh, I at one point said, okay, I'm just going to create the note taker for these people I'm gonna, and I'm going to give it to them and I say, look, don't look at it. You don't even have to write. Please don't take notes. Just look at me and let's talk because I got a million and one notes you can take back with you after class uh, because, um, you know, you just, you, you, you try, you're hoping you can get that one, two or three core points uh, in, into their minds by the end of it. But instead, a lot of people giving speeches believe that they can, I don't know, get a whole semester's course into the, into the, into the audience's head and have it meaning, be meaningful. And it's just not realistic. That's, uh, that's also a fair point. I mean, it's, uh, uh, something that in however many, a lot years of marriage, my husband has gently reminded me in a lot of situations, Hey, you know, Merritt, it's not all about you. <laughs> oh come on i know i know it's I know. Hard, it was heartbreaking for me to realize it but and i think sometimes um uh yeah, individuals who are going to be delivering uh public remarks also need to remember that and remember what does their audience need to hear what does their audience need to take away and sadly i mean unless someone's coming to unless you are a celebrity or some big somebody very very important that they they say i want to go see this person a lot of times certainly the kind of speeches that we get involved in it's quite the opposite it's a ceremony that the audience is required to to attend or or strongly encouraged to attend and their biggest their greatest goal is to look at that clock and say is this is are we about done now so i can go to the refreshments um, because it's so, also the hottest. It's also the hottest day of the summer, and everyone is in dress uniforms. Right. So you know. It, it, so yeah, and they're standing. A lot of them are standing, and they're oh my gosh, I got to get uh-huh. out of here. So to understand that, not only is it not about you, it's it's it, yeah. The, 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 you what can you achieve? And 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 boy, golly, you know, you said if it's five minutes for just twenty minutes, what about what if when it turns into forty minutes, and 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 you're speaker number two or three? I mean, come on. Be, oh, do well, your that, audience a that, favor. Then there is our famous fainting video. <laughs> where we had um, uh, the presi- uh, presiding officer at a ceremony uh, speak way, 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 way too long. And two members of the color guard passed out behind him while we were filming it. <laughs> That's one of those things they teach you in the, in the military early on about uh, not having your knees buckle and make sure you're, you know, that. The thing, you know, when you're standing at attention or parade rest for um, yeah, don't lock your knees. Yeah, to a long, long period of time. So, yeah, it's it is a challenge. 
I think realistic expectations, I guess, are a big part of uh, of the whole business of speech making, speech writing, and speech giving. And um, um, it's going to be pretty exciting in the next three and a half minutes or so when we talk to somebody who's got some great experience and someone you know quite well, right, Merritt? Yeah, we're going to be joined by Eugene Fennerman, who is um, uh, just speechwriter extraordinaire, um, historical satirist. Uh, uh, gosh, what else do I want to say? Um, Renaissance yeah, I, man? I'm sure he, I was going to say a dilettante of something. <laughs> I just wanted to say dilettante. That's very good. You said it. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, well, look, uh, we are going to come back in a few minutes and talk to Eugene, and we're looking forward to that conversation as we talk about speech writing here in the, uh, uh, on uh, the Brand Ambassadors, and we're going to be back in just a few minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When business people think PR, they usually think spin. Good, bad, or indifferent. But spin without a strategy gets you nowhere but lighter in the wallet. At Vox Optima, our outcome-based communication is about results, not the ride. You're focused on your bottom-line goals, and so are we. From strategic planning to creative design and production, Vox Optima has experts ready to support your requirements today. Also look to Vox Optima for crisis communication, media training, and issue management. Vox Optima is a service-disabled veteran and a woman-owned business with consultants working from coast to coast. Vox Optima ties PR strategy and every last communication product to what your organization needs to be successful. At Vox Optima, you won't be spinning your wheels. You'll be getting results. Strategy, not spin. To make our results work for you, visit VoxOptima.com. That's VoxOptima.com. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it and profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to the brand ambassadors to reach our program today please call in to 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 or send an email with questions or comments to brand.ambassadors at voxoptima.com now back to this week's program 
Welcome back to the Brand Ambassadors. I'm Merritt Hamilton Allen, joined by Gary Potterfield, and I am uh, so excited uh, to also introduce to you, uh, Brand Ambassadors listeners, uh, really a longtime Jeopardy sex symbol, Eugene Fennerman. Eugene, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I couldn't have said it a little bit about your Jeopardy uh, experience. I mean, Tournament of Champions, take us through that. 1987. I think that at that time the show was hosted by Thomas Aquinas. And, um, <laughs> and the losers were burned at the stake. But, um, you know, I, I was watching the show in the, from the 1960s, you know, whenever, you know, uh, during summer, you know, I, I was in grade school. And those uh, were in the days of Art Fleming. And I loved the show then. And in the 1970s, I would rearrange my my college classes, so I'd always have the Jeopardy time slot open to, to watch it. And uh, people kept, to, you know, people at the dorm said, "You know, you're good. You really ought to consider going on." And I said, "Well, someday." And then the show went off the air, uh, but came back in the 80s. And this time, I was not going to miss it. You know. Uh, so I went out to L.A. as a pilgrimage expressly to try out for the show. This was, you know, pre-internet auditions, you know, and, you know, I went expressly to Merv Griffith Studios. I was one of 40 people who tried out that day. Only eight people passed the written test, and only four of us then uh, survived the interviews where they were looking for speed, accuracy, and personality. Apparently, I was quite gleeful and exuberant about answering questions about Uriah the Hittite. And uh, I was one of the, of the four people who were the finalists. Only two of us have actually ever, ever got on the air. I taped five shows in one day. That was the limit in those days. And I became immortal. Uh, of course. And um, even my mother-in-law, who went to Radcliffe, is impressed with that, okay? If you can impress a Harvard person, you know. Yeah. So, uh, and obviously, why do you think Merritt bothers speaking to me otherwise? Well, and actually, no, I'm humbled to be in your presence because, of course, we only met after my um, compelling third-place finish on Jeopardy um, mm. against a, uh, a young uh, unknown called Ken Jennings. So you got the bronze, right, Merritt? Right, exactly, exactly. There are no losers. I mean, you've got to remember the nature of Jeopardy has changed. I mean, in my days, we were basically Victorian dilettantes. We had a limit, uh, and we simply were there to test our wits against our vanity. You know, we wanted to see if we were as smart as we thought we were. Uh, there was no idea of but making that's a That's precisely what I think, yes. And now, of course, cyborgs right. have taken over, you know, and so you have these killers. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. I, no, it was, I was just thinking I had forgotten it was 1987. I wish I had paid better attention then because uh, that summer, or it was the summer of 88, I went to Chicago, your hometown, uh, to audition for the college uh, tournament, and it... it I was um, a little, it was Saturday and it was early and I hadn't had a lot of sleep and I might have been a little foggy or hungover and so um, I didn't make the audition, but shoot, I should have reached out to you for some uh, specialized coaching. Well, I don't know, I, you know, do you really, you know, get this, do you want me to be your speechwriter even then? <laughs> well, and no, that's um, when, as uh, we were talking through, as we talked through Jeopardy, um, 
uh, adventures, uh, you know, I, I learned uh, that you were doing a lot of work in speech writing and I, at the time, and we still are doing a lot of uh, speech writing, and that's uh, how you and Gary were introduced. And uh, I'll pass it over to Gary. Uh, we're working Thanks with you, uh, me, working yeah. with you. <laughs> you tell him, Gary. Well, no. So, uh, um, <clears throat> so no. What I was going to ask though first before is is to get to the you know what made you what uh, Eugene what made you think to. Uh, you know, to uh, to use that skill you have or that desire you have, um, your avocation uh, to turn that into speech writing. Why why'd you do that? Uh, well, th- I was discovered. I was a writer. People knew I could write, and people and apparently there's something in my personality that suggests a sense of humor and a certain eloquence, or shall we say, glibness, and. Someone said, you know, have you considered writing speeches? I mean, heretofore, I was doing brochures. I mean, I had a, you know, a graduate degree from Northwestern, so I was qualified to do commercials, which in a way are like short speeches, and I was qualified to write you know, brochures and annual reports, and someone thought, would you like to try speeches? And here I, you know, and I loved it. It was the highest form of public relations. You know, you're actually a, you're, you're, you're a dramatist. You're no longer writing, you know, press releases on most exciting development on inventory management. You're, you're actually doing a dramatization of sorts. You know, I, I loved it. Do I still, well, still do, you know, vicariously now. It's, you know, nostalgia. But, um, and this was in the pre-PowerPoint um, days. So we're talking about just one step above cave drawings. But, you know... Uh, <laughs> It, no, uh, actually, I think it's the other way around. I think it's the PowerPoint is has uh, is where is taking us back to, uh, in terms of communication, back to the cave day, days. Yeah. Compared to yes. just the word. Although now, I have to admit, I now rely on PowerPoint for my. I now am a, uh, you know, as, as I heard the word dilettante. Well, as a history lecturer now, you know, a raconteur that you know of you know historical anecdotes, uh, I have to use slideshows because you know. People might tire of looking at just me for 45 minutes or 50 minutes. And so, you know, I don't mind sharing the stage with Cardinal Richelieu or whatever the topic might be. Right. So, you know, right. no, it's, it's, it's very useful. I mean, I'm, if I start humming Tchaikovsky in a few minutes, it's because I'm doing a presentation on Russia on Monday. So just, get, you know, just my way of so, keeping in the mood. What I uh, wanted to talk about a little bit is uh, on the break, uh, I was talking about um, identifying the personality of the person you're writing for. And I was fascinated to hear that that uh, hasn't always been the case for some of your speech clients. Well, in the ideal situation, you get to know the person, you get to, and you, if you're really lucky, you like the person. I mean, Joseph Goebbels was lucky that way. But. Um, <laughs> The, uh, <laughs> most of us, uh, you know, uh, there's often a uh, Byzantine layer, you know, of courtiers and praetorians who are standing in your way. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're writing for someone who, you know, the person who, you know, officially presents your work. And uh, so you, you, I, I've had situations, for instance, where I didn't, I had the assignment 
I certainly knew my supervisor. I was working as a freelancer, so, you know, but I did not know for whom I was writing. I was just given the topic, told to, you know, I had to do, do this, this, and this. And um, I did a presentation for Kraft Foods, uh, you know, quite charming, Welcome to Chicago and the History of Chicago's Association with Food. And I, I, to this day, I don't know who actually gave the speech. So you don't Just care anymore where, after you, after you've written it, you're good, right? You don't want to have to hear it to see it to hear it ruined you know, uh, for you. Well, if it didn't go well, I would have heard. That way, that you can be sure of. Uh, but the, you know, if it goes, you know, you're, you're, I'm, uh, I'm a freelancer. You know, literally going a uh, mercenary. So you know, I often go from assignment to assignment. Now, some, it's actually rare when I, I hear the speech. You're a speechwriter of fortune. Uh, you know, hmm? You're a speechwriter of fortune. Yes, I am. And, well, uh, the fortune is questionable. I mean, it's a symbiotic relationship. I rent my, you know, wit and erudition, and in return, the MBA allows me a middle-class standard of living. I think when we come back, we still have a minute or a couple of minutes before. But when we come back, I definitely get into, into the um, into into your into your process. That's what I'd like. I'd like well, to hear I, about you. You know, I could. You spoke of your you know process of interviewing the uh, uh, the speaker and letting you know the, the person just go on and on. And you know, you said you well, basically, you said you were sifting through the stream of conscience for you know for, for a nugget. And I know that experience exactly. You know. You you wait for the inspiration, and the person inadvertently gives it to you. <laughs> do you so? Do you end up talking? I mean, I just and you Upon the way you done it. the rare wonderful occasions. Uh, some of my most gratifying experiences as a speechwriter. I interview the person, and the person gives me an idea, and then of course you know it's the person's idea in any case, but you know it gives me the framework. Well, anyway, we'll talk about this later because you have to go on a uh, break. Oh, we got another minute or so. You can give oh, us a you know, give, give us a I minute mean, and a half of it. Well, basically, uh, well, in this case, the person was uh, you know uh, a magnet of industry, and you know, uh, I mean, the fellow was born a corporate vice president, and at <laughs> Yale they called him Adonis. I mean, he was the, he was referred to as the CEO of Central Casting. Uh, actually, he was embarrassingly gorgeous, um, but um, and I don't usually feel that inferior. But, you know, this guy was, you know, magnificent and had a certain, you know, noblesse oblige about him. Anyway, he was talking about, the, you know, the medical the challenges of, of ethics, and um, he inadvertently talked about the difference between ethics and morality. And that, you know, I don't think he even realized it. You know, that, you know, uh, and, but saying those words and how they are interchangeable, and I suddenly realized there is a distinction, and it gave me a framework for a speech that he later gave at Harvard. Again, Harvard comes up. It's like, you know, my, my nemesis, I have no idea. But, um, <laughs> you know, the, you know, so I had the distinction of it, you know, he inspired it, but it was an excellent speech. It was the difference, the distinction between ethics I, excuse me. Uh, in, med- in medical, uh, in medicine, the difference between morality and ethics. Ethics reflecting a, you know, literally the Greeks, you know, could, knew how to, you know, get fifteen words out of one syllable, and so ethics, ethnic, you know, all the same roots, which is basically the, the uh, um, ethel. 
the, 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 the conduct of the people, what is accepted behavior of the people. So that's ethics, whereas morality can be personal. All right. Hey, uh, Eugene, we're going to take a break. We're, 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 we're hitting a break, but I think when we come back, I, I would like to, I would like to uh, address some things related to what uh, folks in our business can uh, need to know, some things they can do, tips we can give them about uh, what they should do in terms of uh, their own speech writing and speech giving. You're listening to The Brand Ambassadors, and we're going to be back in three minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When business people think PR, they usually think spin. Good, bad, or indifferent. But spin without a strategy gets you nowhere but lighter in the wallet. At Vox Optima, our outcome-based communication is about results, not the ride. You're focused on your bottom-line goals, and so are we. From strategic planning to creative design and production, Vox Optima has experts ready to support your requirements today. Also look to Vox Optima for crisis communication, media training, and issue management. Vox Optima is a service-disabled veteran and a woman-owned business with consultants working from coast to coast. Vox Optima ties PR strategy and every last communication product to what your organization needs to be successful. At Vox Optima, you won't be spinning your wheels. You'll be getting results. Strategy, not spin. To make our results work for you, visit VoxOptima.com. That's VoxOptima.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to the brand ambassadors to reach our program today please call in to 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 or send an email with questions or comments to brand.ambassadors at voxoptima.com now back to this week's program welcome back to the brand ambassadors i'm gary potterfield along with Merritt hamilton allen and Eugene Finnerman, we're talking about speech writing. And during the break, uh, you were, you were, uh, Eugene, you were, you were talking about you, uh, either facetiously or seriously that um, you were surprised those people that are, you know, afraid of public, the fear of public speaking. And I have to tell you, 
that um, one of the reasons I went to, um, I decided to become an instructor while I was still in the Navy was because as much as I could, I could talk on a, in front of a camera, but you put me in front of a group of people and the same thing would happen to me. And it really drove me crazy because I knew I wanted to be able to speak in front of a group, but I couldn't do it. And, and so, so, so eventually uh, through through forcing myself, I was able to do it, and and now I love it. You know, and being regardless of size of, of the group. But I think that um, that you're you're the presenter, the speaker, the speech giver. We, Merritt and I talked at the beginning of the first segment about this. You know, they have all kinds of different levels of skill or ability to talk to an audience. And so I wonder what your thoughts are about what you write and 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 your feeling about you know how that translates into the particular person giving the speech. Well, I, I, I do find it somewhat strange, surprising, that people are frightened of public speaking. There was a time, only a few centuries ago, where rhetoric was part of an educa- the educational curriculum. You know, you spoke. Oratory was, you know, part of, you know, what made a person accomplished. Say what you will about Caligula, he did not need a speechwriter. Actually, I was, he was said to be a good public speaker. The, it's strange that you know, we have come in such a way that you know, now people are intimidated. Um, obviously, this, the, 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 the key is to be yourself. And in, in public speaking, of course, here I am as a ghostwriter, you know, I'm, I submerge my own identity. Um, well, so you can be himself. Hmm? You can be himself. Remember, you know, the situation is, you know, uh, in the case of speech writers, you know, we have to encourage the person. If the person knows exactly what he or she wants to say, our job is simply to polish and punctuate. Uh, and, um, but, you know, we can only do so much in terms of presenting the writing. Coaching, I mean, in a way, we're talking about coaching, too. Right. And in, I think the most elementary thing to do, uh, is essential, is for the person to actually give the speech out loud, to, you know, as a rehearsal. I mean, right. how many times have we confronted... Uh, speaker who oh, doesn't isn't given the speech until the last minute, or doesn't bother looking at it until the last minute. I have I mean, an anecdote, had- a real quick anecdote there. I was just real quick. I, I was I wrote this speech that once that I absolutely adored because it was about the hundredth anniversary of the chief petty officers in the United States Navy. So it was meaningful to me. I wrote this. It was I was so proud of it. And then when I watched when I was at the event, then the admiral doesn't show up, and the, the his his uh, XO or the I mean, the chief of staff says, I'm sorry, the admiral was called away. And now somebody who's never seen my speech was, was just butchering it. And then eventually just threw it away and just said, congratulations. Anyway, back to you, Eugene. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, the important thing is you're not bitter, Gary, I can tell. <laughs> no, I still have that damn speech. I still have it. I'm going to give it. It's the 150th At the 200th anniversary? Yeah. Right. Oh, okay, I see the 200th. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was, what I was, a uh, simple suggestion. If you're going to give a speech, stand in front of a mirror. Uh, no, so notice your posture, little things like that, and just speak out loud. And if you have trouble reciting a word, change it. Make it simpler. Because sometimes what we see in print is, uh, you know, a lot easier to read than to say. 
Absolutely. So um, I do know that occasionally I have a certain gift for mimicry. I'm surprised I haven't ended up in community theater. But I, um, I will try to adapt the voice of the speaker, literally try, you know, getting the nuances or sometimes even the dialect. And so uh, that helps me as a writer, you know, being a mimic. Uh, the person's voice. If, uh, if the person has a certain drawl, you know how to, you know, you, you accommodate that in the, in the work. Um, in terms of uh, the presentation, as I say, the first thing is be comfortable with the speech. Actually give it out loud in front of a mirror. Now, this is true for, a, you know, a major speech. This would be true if you're the 13-year-old giving a bar mitzvah speech. You know, it depends. Um, by the way, I actually know someone who ghost wrote a 13-year-old's bar mitzvah speech. <laughs> um, uh, that, would, would, would that be you? What was the hourly rate? No, it was not. I would, I would refuse. I have a certain sense of ethics. So what am I doing in PR? You're right. Um, and I would refuse to do a, you know, a bar mitzvah speech. That should be personal, a personal expression. Um, as a matter of fact, it was that dreadful person I, for whom I worked, uh, you know, who was my supervisor at Kraft. He actually ended up ghostwriting a, th- a bar mitzvah speech. <laughs> I mean, I, I... What can I say? He also hated animals, so what can I... A totally <laughs> reprehensible person. Um, the... Um, if, I could, if I could step in, um, I think uh, one thing is... Uh, to be realistic as uh, the speechwriter, uh, you uh, and be as helpful as you can, but understand that the speech isn't about you, and it may not even be as much about your client, but it's about the audience. Uh-huh. And your job as the writer is to convince your client um, that this is the best way to reach their audience. Uh. Yes, and, and so and you know that you're and you're only you, you can only be so successful that way. Have you ever confronted a hostile client, someone who doesn't want to give the speech and actually oh, yeah. fight you? I mean, oh, I, you know, yeah. I had a technocrat who you know spoke in pure jargon, and you know this is what he wanted to say, and his and it was I didn't know, I didn't understand a word of it. Uh, and when I said, well, you know, this is going to be a mixed audience, there are people there who won't understand it, and, he said, and he, this is what he said. If you, un, you know, uh, if you understand it, then you're supposed to, and if you don't, you're not supposed to. I mean... Been around those people. No, you, you really... Well, you can still try subtly encouraging them, uh, but, uh, you know, he kept saying, I don't want anything too artsy, you know. Okay, I mean... What do you what do you believe, Eugene? Are your are, are realistic expectations of, of of the result of a speech? Uh, that you successfully express what you wanted to say. You know, ideally, you convince the person or the audience of your points. But uh, you know, to make a favorable impression, a persuasive impression. That would be ideal. Uh, we don't write necessarily, you know, works that will always end up in vital speeches of the day. I mean, I've had I've had the honor of doing, you know, of achieving that distinction twice, but you know, not everything is going to be worthy of that. 
So, but the idea is. You know, and I, w- I would interject. Yeah, I would interject also for sometimes for the speaker, there's a risk management element to it, particularly if they're going to be members of the media. And sometimes all your client wants to do is um, get correct information out and say nothing that will get him fired. Mm. Well, you and are correct. I think, you and I think the speechwriter has to be responsive to that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You're right. We're writing for several audiences, the immediate audience and shall we say, the media or even posterity, you know, if we really go, go far out. But you're absolutely right. You know, uh, it's not the, just the immediate audience. The, for instance, when I did the, you know, ex- ethics versus innovation, that wasn't just the Harvard Business School, you know, as gratifying an audience, prestigious an audience as that was. It was to create the image that, you know, Baxter International is, is, is committed to, you know, health care and, you know, but there are challenges. You know, scientific innovation does, you know, create some ethical conflicts. I mean, think of Edward Jenner, who, whose example I cited. The idea of injecting a person with cowpox was terrifying. You know, uh, it's, a, it, it's a reflection on England's relatively tolerant society that Jenner didn't end up in Australia, hmm. you know, offering such a, you know, a dangerous idea. How, um, innovation, uh, you know, innovation does often present challenges. Uh, what, even, go back to the very founding of medical schools in the 14th century, in, you know, Renaissance, uh, what would become Renaissance Italy. Dissecting bodies. That was considered sacrilege. You know, the universities started making a compromise. Uh, what if we only dissect executed criminals? Because they're not going to look good on Judgment Day in any case, right? And the you know, church agreed with that. But that was an example of innovation versus ethics. More, you know, so we're used pers- Continue, I'm sorry. So, you know, that, there's no, uh, we're coming up on a break, but, you know, there's, there are a lot of things to consider, I think, for speechwriters, which one is uh, risk aversion, risk management. Uh, there's um, what the audience really needs to take away, what you want to see published, what behavior you want to see as a result of the speech. And it may not be um, Harvard Business School and, and healthcare policy and innovation. It may be something much more mundane. And I think speechwriters have to keep their egos in check. Uh, to ensure, uh, uh, you know, to, to ensure that they are uh, managing the client expectations and their own expectations appropriately. We're, we're coming up on the break. Eugene, I'd like to ask you, can you join us for the fourth segment? There's some more, definitely some more questions we want to ask you. I'd be flattered. Thank oh, wonderful. Okay, so we're going to go to break now, and you're listening to The Brand Ambassadors. Send us an email uh, with your questions for Eugene at brandambassadors at voxoptima.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When business people think PR, they usually think spin. Good, bad, or indifferent. But spin without a strategy gets you nowhere but lighter in the wallet. At Vox Optima. 
Our outcome-based communication is about results, not the ride. You're focused on your bottom line goals, and so are we. From strategic planning to creative design and production, Vox Optima has experts ready to support your requirements today. Also look to Vox Optima for crisis communication, media training, and issue management. Vox Optima is a service-disabled veteran and a woman-owned business with consultants working from coast to coast. Vox Optima ties PR strategy and every last communication product to what your organization needs to be successful. At Vox Optima, you won't be spinning your wheels. You'll be getting results. Strategy, not spin. To make our results work for you, visit VoxOptima.com. That's VoxOptima.com. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Trends in global business are changing all the time. It used to only be worrying about your competitor across the street, but now that competitor may be across the world. On Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, we discuss the trends in global business, plus issues and solutions that business leaders face today. Each show is guaranteed to teach you something that you didn't know before about global business. Listen live every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You are listening to The Brand Ambassadors. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email with questions or comments to brand.ambassadors at voxoptima.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to the Brand Ambassadors. I'm Gary Potterfield, along with Mayor Hamilton Allen and you, our guest Eugene Finnerman, staying with us for our final segment, and we're having a great time talking to Eugene. We're talking about speech writing, and of course, for the audience, that a lot of the folks we're dealing with, we're talking to folks in the in the PR business, and um, so at, at the end of the day, uh, writing a speech for a client, it's 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 we're talking business here. So, um, you know, you know, Eugene, from your perspective, what should what do uh, PR professionals who are trying to make a living at this, trying to make some money in this in this gig, what's, what are your thoughts on uh, some of the things that they may need to to be aware of? Ah, oh, that's a good question. See, I was trying to stump you. I think maybe I have. No. Yeah, I think you have. Let's talk about the Treaty of Utrecht instead. The, <laughs> um, you know. You're, I mean, right now, obviously, uh, you know, we've been talking about the creative challenges, 
the entertaining challenges of giving a speech, but what are the practical uh, reasons for doing it? And our job, you know, we are, in effect, the, the speaker, the client, has a message or has a need. And our job is to make that a most effective expression of that need. Uh, we may refine it. We may help the person, uh, you know, hone that or even find that expression. Uh, it could be it could be a form of crisis management. You were there. You desperately need to express. Uh, you know, what the situation is, and do so in as lucid and persuasive a manner, preferably truthful. I'm proud to say I have never knowingly lied for a client. Maybe that's why I'm retired. But, um, no, seriously, the, you know, obviously the truth is the most effective, you know, form of expression. Uh, And... We, you know, our job is to do, you know, the best for the client, but, you know, not to fabricate a situation, but to be the best expression of the client's needs and aspirations. Very good. I I think that's, I I absolutely would agree with that. And uh, do you, when... uh, uh, you were uh, working a number of clients. Was there a particular rhythm or process you maintained from um, uh, receiving the assignment to drafts to billing? Uh, was that important uh, to uh, have some sort of process? Uh, I did not. Uh, we're billing, you know, uh, certainly not with billing. I'm. Why did? Why, would, why do you think you'd have any other answer? <laughs> you know, that was the one thing you didn't want to hear. Is that correct? Um, you know, pay when you feel like. No. Um, I do not have a dachshund to support, so you know I understand. You know, you, you have more practical needs. The um, I uh, the ideal situation is where you directly communicate with the speaker. You know, as I said, the, the, that uh, the CEO, of, you know, chairman of Baxter International. Uh, was a perfect situation. I was talking to the person, not to, you know, the Praetorian guard, not the high priest of the, you know, uh, and we're, oh God, the worst situation was, of course, in federal government, where I was dealing allegedly with the speaker, but in fact, I was actually dealing with a, a panel of little Robespierre's, you know, who would, you know, cre- try to create a... Um, um, you know, well, basically, pablum, rhetorical pablum. What's the least offensive thing we can say? What's the most innocuous thing we can say? Uh, try getting a try getting so a that, joke so then it's important, it, And so it's I'm important sorry. to um, emphasize the need early on. It, it, I think what you're saying is it's important to emphasize the need early on for some sort of direct uh, conversation with the speaker, uh, and that could be. Um, just simply saying, look, if you let me have a half-hour phone call, this would help me a lot, but uh, making a case for that. Uh, absolutely. You either, either The perfect situation is the speaker or at least a person who is the designate, designated surrogate of the speaker. Uh, I want, in a, in a, for a state government situation, it was actually a case where I spoke with the you know, speaker, 
But it ended up the real person I needed to talk to was his chief of staff, who we ended up editing everything. Right, and, uh, right. You know, but yes, you need to have and that, one And that can definitely person. be the case. And then, Gary, when it comes for preparation, I think you've done a really good job with some of our clients in doing live rehearsals with them. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I think, and, and you know, uh, Eugene talked about speaking in front of a mirror. And, um, you know, if you indeed, if you can get that person to go through the key parts, and maybe not the entire, if it's a 20-minute speech, whatever, it doesn't have necessarily have to be that. But where you get to hear this person, they get to look out and see see you. And, and I, one thing I would say is that, uh, and I'm sure that you guys would agree with this, is that um, trying to change the person from who they are, in other words, stopping them from a particular body movement as long as it's not too outrageous because most of the time we think that when we see ourselves or hear ourselves how awful that is but it's just people being people so just to you know to 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 get that comfort level whatever that may be in giving that uh, that speech and again also uh, Eugene had mentioned the fact about uh, you know the written word it does not necessarily come off the same as the spoken word and so sometimes when you're giving that when you're doing that rehearsal together you go wow that just doesn't sound like how i would speak and you can and you can fix that so <laughs> Uh, so I think you, uh, th- then that leads to drafts and that leads to saying, okay, let, you know, scratch this, add that, you know, um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's vitally important. It's just extremely rare. We find it, it and I'm sure we, we've all found it rare to, do, to be able to do that, to spend that time as much as it's important. Well, it's indeed, we've just uh, we we've tried to shape um, engagement so that we we're actually able to do that. But it, it's really dependent on the interest of the client and what their calendar looks like. Uh, Eugene, uh, we're, we're coming up at the end of our show. Um, any final comments you've got for uh, either speakers or uh, writers for speakers? Well, writers for speakers, uh, good luck. It's, it's, it's really it is the highest form of public relations, the most gratifying. Uh, so you know, pursue. Agreed. It. Uh, is, is you know, it, there's such a challenge and but a pleasure to it. It's it's it is better than press releases, and so I you know you have both my you know envy and admiration. I mean, bear in mind though, don't let your ego get carried away. Remember that uh, you know D- David Frum was fired because his wife was you know p- t- emailing people. My husband wrote. Two out of the three words of axis of evil, and remember, one of those words was of, but you're not supposed to, you know, <laughs> eclipse right. the speaker. So, uh, you know, and Frum got fired for that. It, you know, that, uh, yeah. bear in mind that before the, we were called speechwriters, we were called secretaries. And the word secret is implicit in what we do. So, you know. Of course, I had. Wait, what's a lot, still a lot all, nicer all my than propagandist? By now. Well, uh, Eugene, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you'll come back uh, uh, to talk more on this or uh, any other topic. I suggest you go check out FinnermanWorks.com. Uh, you can uh, read his uh, fantastic his, uh, historical, hysterical, satirical writings and book him as a, hist- as a history lecturer. So uh, thank you, Eugene. For Gary Potterfield, I'm Merritt Hamilton Allen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Brand Ambassadors. 
Please join Merritt Hamilton Allen and Gary Potterfield for another edition next Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.